to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Last time we were exploring the extraordinary words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 2. Here he tells us that Christian behaviour can lead our loved ones to faith in Christ. To quote the words again, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I want to make clear that this passage can't be used as an excuse never to talk about our faith with those who don't believe. No way. As I've said more than once in this series, there are clear New Testament passages urging us all to speak up for Christ when we can. In just a few paragraphs, Peter will write, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's words in 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 2 are not intended as a let-off for those who are simply too shy to speak about Christ. They are meant to be an encouragement to those who find themselves in situations in which speaking about the faith is difficult or inappropriate. The marriage relationship is a classic example. Over the years, I've heard many Christian spouses say of their partners, I just can't talk about Christ at home. As soon as I do, my husband or wife just clams up. She or he doesn't want to hear about him from me. The parent-child relationship is similar. Many teenagers and quite a few adults have said to me over the years, I can hardly mention my faith to my mom and dad without them thinking I'm presuming to teach them. The reverse is true as well. Christian parents sometimes find that their grown-up children are no longer willing to hear their preaching. A similar observation could be made about the teacher-student and the employee-employer relationships. It may be inappropriate for teachers to share the gospel with students. It may be difficult for students to tell the gospel to their teachers. Likewise, employees may in some contexts feel rightly awkward about using their position to speak to workers about Jesus, and employees may find it difficult to get their bosses to listen to them when they talk about matters of faith. Now, it would be tempting to say to Christians in each of these contexts, don't be ashamed, declare Christ regardless of the situation, regardless of the outcome. But this, I reckon, would be unwise and unbiblical. Apart from potentially leading to a lack of gentleness and respect, which is something 1 Peter 3.15 demands of us, such advice ignores Peter's clear statement that Christian behaviour without a word can win people over to Christ. Peter's words should be read for what they are, an assurance to Christian wives and to all who find themselves in contexts where speaking about the Lord is difficult or inappropriate that the Lord of the harvest can win over our loved ones without a word from you by the power of your godly life. It's nothing other than the application of the teaching of Jesus when he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. For a talker like me, one who is tempted to think that conversion is the domain of the evangelist alone, this is an important lesson to learn. How I live from day to day, can also win people over to faith in the gospel. There are several other passages in the New Testament that speak about the effect of Christian behaviour on those who don't believe. To the leader of the church on Crete, Titus, the Apostle Paul emphasises just how important 
Christian behaviour is for the work of the gospel on the island of Crete. He begins by explaining that the good life can halt criticism of God's word. He ends up saying that godliness can actually promote God's word. Let me read to you um, Titus 2, 1 to 10. If you have a Bible handy, fantastic. If not, just listen in. You, Titus, must teach the Christians on Crete what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Paul first states his point in negative terms or defensive terms. He says godly behaviour can silence those who malign God's word. It can embarrass those who oppose the preachers of the word. Sometimes godliness is the only defence. Sadly, I have an ever-growing collection of media articles in my file marked Criticism of Christianity. Here are just a few of the headlines from the newspapers. Christianity is fine, but please don't mention the church. Or this one, Faith in Churches Dropping Survey Shows. Or another, man of God with a heart of stone. Or, in politicians we trust but not the church. Or, those things we were liable to read into the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. This last article was not so much an attack on the Bible itself, it was actually a criticism of evangelical Christians for not living up to their Bible. In it, Richard Glover, a prominent ABC journo, asked, Exactly what kind of Bible is being read by all these evangelical Christians? Do they have a special copy which skips the passage about the meek inheriting the earth? Whenever I read these pieces, some of which are unfair, others of which are embarrassingly accurate, my gut reaction is to shoot off a letter to the editor. This might be the right response on occasion. But ultimately, I suspect the only true defence of these kinds of criticisms is the one Paul urges here in Titus chapter 2. We must live out God's word and so outlive the criticisms. An analogy comes to mind. As a parent, I'm conscious that my reputation is in some ways tied up with my kids' behaviour. How they act reflects not only on them as individuals, but also on me as their dad. For instance, if I'm out shopping in the supermarket and one of the kids decides to throw a tantrum in aisle seven, which of course they never do, but if they did, I know that every other parent in the aisle is looking at me thinking, oh, what a bad parent. If on the other hand, we're out on the football pitch and my lad scores two goals in a row, 
I know the other parents are thinking, boy, that John Dixon must be a good player to have a boy who can score like that. My children somehow carry my reputation. My point, of course, is that in naming us his children, our Heavenly Father has entrusted his reputation, his public image in the world, to you and me. How we act as a group and as individuals very often affects how people think of God. We've all met people whose image of God and his gospel has been damaged by the actions of believers. Humanly speaking, the only way to challenge this impression is to bear the fruit of the gospel, to live a life of good deeds. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.